Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're happy to be with you. Absolutely. It is the thick of summer here in Pennsylvania. We had a recent heat wave. Yeah gotten over that. But one of the things I love about summer is I call it my summer office. Uh-huh. You know what my summer office is. Yes. Tell, tell our listeners what my summer well, office is. It's a screened in porch uh, that's off our master bedroom. So it's not just generally accessible. There's not a lot of activity like flowing in and out of it. It's kind of private and right. it's surrounded by woods and wooded breezes and just a very pleasant place to go work on a nice day. I love it. I love, love, love (laughs) it. In the summertime, sitting out there, breezes and the trees, as you were saying, the woods, I feel hugged by the woods. But I had an experience recently that was, shall we say, a crappy experience. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Now I'm worried. Actually, I know what it was, but our <laughs> listeners should be worried. <laughs> I was sitting out on our screened-in porch there, and I heard this thwack against the screen. And almost instantaneously, I felt this liquid splash on my face. Oh, no. In my hair, all over the notepad I was writing on. And I had my Magnificat open, and these brown blotches got <laughs> splashed all over my Magnificat as well. And a bird had flown into the screen and let loose some bird diarrhea of some <laughs> sort oh, no. that came through the screen and splashed, like sprayed me. Oh. It wasn't your white typical white bird poop. (laughs) This was brown, liquidy bird diarrhea. Oh, gosh. I have never experienced such a thing. And then I looked out the screen, Mm -hmm. and there are these three robins sitting on a branch, and I swear they were mocking me. (laughs) They were looking at you to see what you thought of that. Yeah, they were looking at me like, gotcha. Oh, it was not a pleasant experience. No, it was, was very sad. unusual. Like it's something you'd see in a movie or a cartoon and you'd think, oh, that would never happen in real life. But it happened. And I'm telling you, I was like four feet away from the screen. That's how much bird diarrhea got sprayed. <laughs> Maybe, may, you know what? I have a theory. Okay. Maybe because of the little holes of the screen, it's like when you make a hose smaller, it sprays even more forcefully. <laughs> Maybe it was the ex- I- no, no, it's not no? the holes of the screen. It's the impact of the bird's body against the screen. That's what created the force. That's what I think. And the force of that little bird <laughs> butthole. <laughs> <laughs> it was so un- It was so weird. I'm still recovering. I'm sorry. That was pretty upsetting. I just had to share it with somebody. <laughs> well, I'll say this. There's so much grace at work in you because I saw you very shortly after that happened and you had to clean yourself up and the things that you were holding. 
but it could have made you so angry and you were more just miffed and mystified i was mystified and and that that's a sign of growth don't you i guess think? it is yeah i guess so, it is i guess you, uh, Lord, some years ago i might have had a different reaction that's to right. all that you were just kind of shaking your head and just shocked. It's like can you believe this actually happened yeah i couldn't believe it so that's all i have to say about that <laughs> i hope nothing like that happened to any of our listeners today and Considering that it probably didn't, you have something to be thankful for. Yep, there you go. There you go. And speaking of being thankful, we're so thankful for our patrons and our students at the Institute. And I wonder if you want to share anything about things. I do. We have an excellent opportunity coming up at the Institute. We have one of our online TOB1 courses starting July 19th. It runs for two weeks. You get to watch all the videos as if you were right here at our retreat center, not that we own the retreat center here in Pennsylvania, a retreat center that we use where I teach those filmed right there. We, when we do the in-person courses, it's five and a half days, but we give our students two weeks to watch the videos. There are live Q and A sessions. It's a marvelous opportunity. If you're not able to travel here to Pennsylvania and you wanted to do a deep dive into John Paul's theology of the body, this is the opportunity to do it. There are scholarships available if money is ever an obstacle. We, this is just our policy at the Institute. We never, ever want money to get in the way of this message getting out there. If you are in need of a scholarship, please let us know. We, we do work with the Theology of the Body Foundation, uh, and they are very generous in helping our students to get scholarship money to make it all possible. So please, please, um, if you've ever wanted to take the Theology of the Body Level 1 course, now's a great opportunity to do so. And we've had people say they really like the online version because they get to cry <laughs> by themselves without worrying about people around. They get to rewind the videos and say, oh, let me watch that again, or I didn't quite catch what he said there, let me watch that again. So there are many advantages to, to the online version. I, I'm always, of course, a fan of the in-person courses, but... It has not, these online courses have, have not been an obstacle to the Holy Spirit really changing lives. So check out that link to learn more. And uh, as far as our patrons, I think it was in just in the last episode, I was talking about all the great new benefits we have for our patrons. Especially, you'll want to check out Bill Dunahee's new course for passing the theology of the body on to our teenagers. You'll want to check that out in the patron community, and you can learn more about that by checking out the links. Hmm. And we have a question from one of our patrons. Yes, thank you, patrons, for your questions. This is from a patron named Mary. Hello, Mary. Thank you so much for your support of the work we do. We're so grateful to you. Mary says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, I started praying about my future and asking God what he wants for my life. I feel like I'm called to marriage. The thing is, since realizing that marriage is my vocation, I feel like I'm incapable of seeing members of the other sex primarily as a beautiful human being made in the image of God. When I meet a guy, I think, God, is this him? Mm. I feel like I should be able to control my thoughts better. What should I do? Mary, you should rejoice that you're a human being. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing your humanity. Mm. You're experiencing the, the hope and the joy of of being human that you're going to find somebody to marry. And it's entirely reasonable to, to wonder, hmm, could this be the one? Yeah. 
right? So first, just rejoice. There's just beautiful humanity in what you're experiencing. I wouldn't beat yourself up about it. I wouldn't worry too much about it. I mean, if if I were, yes, you are correct in in recognizing we can overdo it. You're correct in recognizing, wow, am I really treating this person as a person or just as a potential somebody for me? Yes, I, I, I affirm you in recognizing that caution in your heart. And the, the very fact that you recognize it, to me, already indicates you are on the right track here, sister. I would just invite you, and Wendy, you can speak into this too, I'm sure, but I, I would invite you, Mary, when you're experiencing that, and maybe when it's getting a little, maybe a little out of control, first of all, say, Lord, thank you for making me to be a woman. Thank you for your plan for my life. Thank you that if I'm called to marriage, which it seems you've discerned that you are, if that's really God's plan for your life, then there's somebody out there that you're meant to marry. Mm. And thank the Lord in that very moment of wondering, is this the one? Just when you catch your heart doing that, thank the Lord that you're made for marriage. Thank the Lord that you desire a husband. Thank the Lord that he's out there somewhere and, and offer that experience even the troubling aspects of that experience, say, Lord, I give that to you as a prayer for my future husband. I have, ah. I have a little experience oh, to share. Yes, please do. Um, when I was a single woman, I would sometimes have this distracting experience at Mass where instead of just being present to the Mass itself, I would be kind of imagining my wedding Mass, not kind of. Literally. <laughs> and I would be kind of, I'm here. Hey, at I was mass. at your wedding mass. I'm so glad you came. <laughs> that was kind of key. <laughs> but rewind a little before that before happened. Before that happened, mm -hmm. yes. Um, you know, I would just be in mass, but I would be picturing uh, flowers or thinking about songs and different things about my wedding instead of just paying attention to the mass. And I remember feeling bad about that. Like, I'm just not praying right here because I keep thinking about this. And there was a particular day when I went to Sunday Mass and I I had actually, to tell you the truth, I'd heard you give a talk the night before. Oh. And I really was kind of, my heart was a bit stirred up about you possibly being the person I would well, marry. how about that? And so here I am at Mass and now I'm picturing our wedding, which, you know, was down the road at that time. Did happen. It did later happen. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that I was <laughs> distracted and I felt guilty about it. But as I was praying in mass, each time I would have this image of my wedding, I it was like I heard the Lord's voice in my heart saying, I love you. Aww. And it happened repeatedly throughout the wow. mass where I'd have this image of like being just a distraction, really thinking about a wedding. My own wedding. It's not like a, a wedding. It's is fundamentally distracting, but it wasn't. I wasn't focused on the prayers at hand, and I kept hearing this. I love you, and it was just like the Lord letting me know He wasn't the one scolding me. If if I'm scolding, feeling scolded in my thoughts, it's my own problem. Like He, His heart was just full of love for me, and it was That's so awesome. consoling to me and freeing to hear that from him. Mary, the Lord is full of love for you. Mm. He loves your desire for a husband, and I'm going to throw this in there too, 
Your desire for a husband is ultimately your desire. It's a desire for Jesus, because Jesus is your true bridegroom. I'd, I'd encourage you as you're, if you find yourself, you know, when it's getting maybe a little out of control, maybe leaning towards an idolization of marriage, just remember Jesus is your true bridegroom. And the best a marriage can be is an icon of something that we don't yet know or haven't yet experienced. The Bible calls it the marriage of the Lamb, right? Marriage between a, a man and a woman here on planet Earth is really, when we understand it properly, it's really marriage preparation for the marriage of the Lamb. The ultimate marriage we're called to is the one that lasts eternally between Christ and His church. So we're all called to that marriage. Lord, prepare our hearts for that. However you want us to live in this life, may it lead us to the marriage of the Lamb. Our next question is from an anonymous podcast listener who says, Many doctors prescribe the birth control pill to women as a treatment for irregular periods, hormone imbalance, and acne. If a woman takes these pills as prescribed for health reasons, is it a sin? Would it depend whether she's a single woman or a married woman? Great question. I'm going to, to abstract for a moment and set aside the question as to whether or not the pill might be an abortifacient. There is medical literature out there that's pretty conclusive that the pill uh, can act and sometimes does act not only to prevent conception, but if conception occurs, it changes the lining of the uterus and a newly conceived life can't implant and gets aborted. So I, I want to put that question aside for a moment. Not that it's not very important, but I want to address a, a, another moral principle. And in order to do that, I need to set that aside for a moment. So let's assume just for the moment that the pill does not also sometimes cause an abortion. Pope Paul VI, St. Paul VI, in his encyclical Humanae Vitae, says that when, for example, the pill is taken not with the intention to prevent a pregnancy, but to treat some malady, and the infertility that results is an unintentional side effect or consequence of a medically necessary pill, then one is not guilty of the sin of contraception, right? Because the sin of contraception is in the will, right? If one is taking the pill to treat a true malady, and the again, the unintended consequence is that you're also rendered infertile, there's no sin involved. Uh, for example, if a woman has cancer of the uterus, and she needs to remove her uterus to save her life, because the cancer would kill her, she knows in advance that to remove her uterus is going to render her sterile. So long as that is not the intention of the procedure, there's no the, the sin of sterilization is not committed. So and that would be true just regardless of whether it's birth control pill or a surgery or, or surgery. other things Correct. that might unintentionally cause infertility. 
um, but that are justified because of what's being treated. Well, the, I wouldn't use the word justified because the the rendering, the direct intention to render sterile is never justified. No, I meant but, that the, that treating something right, else right. is treating justified. Treating the other malady is justified, right. even though yes. the side consequence or the unintended consequence is you're rendered sterile. Yes, that's correct. So a single woman who's taking the pill for some to treat some malady is not doing anything wrong. And if, this is where the question of whether it's an abortifacient comes up, if the pill were not also possibly an abortifacient, a married woman would be doing nothing wrong if she were taking the pill to treat a medical problem and the resulting infertility was a consequence that she did not intend. She would not be doing anything wrong. However, now we have to bring this other piece back in, that the pill, it's in the medical literature, it can act as an abortifacient. My advice to anyone out there who is on the pill for a medically necessary reason, or at least that's what we're often told, we can address that also, is it medically necessary? But if if you're on the pill for some uh, re, for, to treat some malady, if you're a married woman, in order to avoid the possibility of an abortion, you would need to abstain from the marital act. Uh, the good news is, and Wendy, you know more than I do here as a nurse or as a former nurse. Do you want to shine a light here? As a uh, sure, I'm happy to. I think you're you're right, and you know answering the direct question, and then let's take a step yeah. back and look at other questions. So the the questioner even brought up, would it depend whether she's single or married? And I don't know where the questioner was going with that, but it, you know, it, it does relate to that other means of action that many birth control pills do have. Many doctors who are convinced that um, the Catholic Church's teaching on contraception is true and they're right, um, they choose not to prescribe the birth control pill for other um, illnesses, even though they know that there is an allowance for it in right. certain situations because they want to promote other treatments that are effective. They don't want to kind of go along with the cultural norm that kind of assumes that women want to be infertile um, which is kind of the mindset of many doctors. You have this problem. Hey, just take the birth control pill. It'll take care of your problem, and it'll take care of you not getting pregnant, and that's right. like two birds with one stone. That's great. That's so much the mindset that it maybe discourages many doctors from looking, from looking for other treatments for things that are going on with the body. So um, I, I know that many people are unaware of that. It's just not commonly talked about in certain circles, maybe, but in, in the general population, no. So um, I think that that's like the taking the step back and looking at the bigger picture. Yes, it could be allowed. Um, and especially, you know, in a person who's not, you know, in danger of experiencing an unintended abortion, you know, all of that, it, it's morally acceptable. But are there better options out there? There very well may be. 
and they may get more to the source of the problem rather than maybe right. masking something um, that's going on in the body. So I think that's a very hopeful thing. That's a fruit of faithful people, like faithful doctors following what the church teaches and bringing a lot of good to the world. That's what NAPRO technology is all about. NAPRO is short for Natural Procreative Technology, where doctors come to understand how a woman's body works and they work with it instead of against it. Mm. And in the process of researching how a woman's body really works and how medicines, technology, procedures can work with it, these doctors have discovered various alternatives to the pill for for acne, for what are, what are other things? Is endometriosis a, mm -hmm. a reason a woman might sometimes, a yes. typical doctor out there might put a woman on the pill? Sure. There are alternatives. So yeah, check out the links to the Paul VI Institute for the Study of Human Reproduction and the NAPRO technology that they use, and I think it'll open a, a whole new world to you. Our next question is from a listener named Beth. Hey, Beth. My grandfather recently passed away, and the grieving process has been hard for us all, especially my grandmother, who is married to him for over 60 years. Mm, wow. I know from Theology of the Body that death is a rupture between body and soul, but that we have hope in the resurrection of the body. There's been conversation among the members of the family that visiting the grave doesn't make sense because he's not, quote, really there. He's in heaven. After listening to you recently, I'm thinking it would be proper to mourn his body at the grave because the body's not just a shell that held his soul. Can you shed some light on the proper understanding and response to grieving and feeling our loved one's presence during this time of unnatural separation in light of theology of the body? Beth, I love your question. I love that you're really pressing in. I can tell that you're really looking at your own heart and you're looking at other messages you're getting and you're weighing it against what you feel yourself and you're saying, what, what's the right attitude here? What's the right approach here? Uh, well, I can speak from personal experience. My sister, who was four years younger than I, died a year and a half ago from uh, cancer, a battle with cancer. And going to her grave is good for my heart. Going to her grave is an opportunity to recall the value and dignity of her body. Like, that is the place. Her body, when I'm there at the grave, I can say, her body, the body I hugged, the body that smiled at me, the body that would laugh with me, the body whose brightness and cheeriness would light up a room, that body is in the ground here. And that body has a destiny of resurrection. Yes, that body is returning to dust. Remember on Ash Wednesday that the priest will pray as he puts ashes on our forehead, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. But we are not merely dust destined for death. We are dust destined for divinization, to be raised up into the divine life. If God, at the beginning of time, can gather the dust of the earth and breathe his life into it to make a living bodily person, 
then he can do it at the end of time as well. And going to the gravesite of a deceased loved one is a beautiful recognition of the body, as you're saying, Beth. I think you are spot on. I think you're, you're feeling it in the right way. And I think, perhaps, I don't know their hearts. I can't read into their hearts. But perhaps those in your family or, or others who might say, yeah, why go to the grave? You know, uh, his soul is in heaven. Well, as Thomas Aquinas says, the soul is not the self. The soul is one aspect of the self. The separation of body and soul that happens at death is a cosmic obscenity. It was never meant to happen. And we have this idea, you mentioned it, Beth, that we think of the body as kind of a container for the soul. Well, it's actually the opposite. Thomas Aquinas teaches that the soul contains the body. The soul is the form of the body, and we know this because when the soul separates from the body at death, the body deforms, right? The, the, it's not that the soul is in the body, it's more that the body is in the soul. Mm. And going to the grave is an acknowledgement of the tragedy of the separation of body and soul, but it's also, or could be and should be, I would say, a prayer of hope that the self that you knew, the self who is the union of body and soul, will be reunited at the end of time, and you will know that person in his glorified body. You will know your grandfather. You, his smile will light up the room like it always did. You will know him through his body. His body will be glorified, right? There's, there's something different about glorified bodies for example, when Jesus was raised from the dead in his glorified body, he could walk through walls, uh, but he was still a body, right? He said, look at me, I'm not, I'm not a ghost. They thought they saw a ghost because he came through the locked door, and he said, no, no, ghosts don't have flesh and bones like I do. If you don't believe me, give me a piece of fish and I'll eat it. Right? That'll be proof to you that I'm, I'm really mm -hmm. physically here. Um, and, and other people didn't even recognize Jesus in his glorified body. They'd walk the whole way to Emmaus with him and not sh didn't know that it was, it was the Lord, uh, the person they had hung out with for three years. So there's something mysteriously different, something mysteriously other about our resurrected bodies, but it's still our bodies, right? Bodies that are perfectly permeated and penetrated, John Paul II says, in the resurrection by the Holy Spirit. Mm. And because the Holy Spirit is a divine person, when the human body is perfectly permeated and penetrated by the Holy Spirit, not only is the body spiritualized, the body is divinized. How often is Christianity accused of demonizing the body? Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. Demons demonize the body and then blame it on Christianity. Christianity mm. divinizes the body. And this, I believe, Beth, is what you are sensing, even if you can't put words to it, this is what you're sensing when you say, it is right and fitting for me to go to my grandfather's grave, mourn the separation of his body and soul, and pray right here in this place that he would know the full glory of the resurrection of his body. This is our faith. We profess belief 
in life everlasting, in the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting is how we say it in the Apostles' Creed. Can I get an amen Amen to that? That's what I'm talking about. You have anything you want to add, Wendy? I just want to say that we want to be lifting you and your family up in prayer in this time of grieving. We've all, um, ex at least Christopher and I, have experienced some really painful experiences with loss of loved ones, both of us. As he mentioned, his sister, I've, both my parents have died, my father when I was young and my mother when I was almost 40. Um, and it is, it is so sad. It is so hard to continue living life without someone you love so much. And um, the Lord knows that. He cried at his own friend's grave, felt that pain and sorrow of death itself. And so, you know, to imagine the Lord with you there at your grandfather's grave is completely appropriate. Um, and to know that he he wants to comfort you. He wants to console you. He wants us all to be together again in heaven. That's so much his desire. He understands our, our longing and our pain. And I just will share that um, many people, in addition to feeling that closeness and specialness of visiting a loved one's grave, also experience a great closeness during Mass and at Holy Communion. We know that heaven is present at Mass. And so our loved ones who are in heaven are somehow mysteriously there with us. So I just encourage you to allow the Lord to console you in those different places and ways and trust Him that He's doing a mighty work in your life. And, uh, and in your grandmother, we'll be praying for her as she longs, I'm sure, for that reunion with her so husband. So hard after 60 years yeah. of marriage. This is, yeah. uh, you've seen me, Wendy, mourn even now. I mean, you're, you're not even 50 years old yet. <laughs> and yet I, you know, life takes its normal course. Um, you have maybe 30, 40 years left. Mm. And I, the thought of you dying is, it's devastating. It's, it's, it's such a rupture. And the fact that we feel it so painfully indicates it wasn't meant to be this way. Mm. Death is not normal. It's, it's not natural. It's, it was just in the Sunday readings, it not, was. not too long, not, was it Sunday readings? Maybe a daily reading, not so long ago, where it said, uh, death was not God's plan. Death entered the world through the envy of the devil. Mm. And what is he envious of? What do we have that the angels don't have? Remembering that Lucifer is a fallen angel. We have bodies. The angels, the good angels, are in complete awe of our bodies, because our bodies are destined to be divinized, to participate in the divine life in a way that even the angels can't, because they don't have bodies. And so the fallen angels envy the fact that the Word of God became flesh and divinized our bodies. And, you know, envy is not just jealousy. Jealousy says, I wish I had what you have. But envy says, I hate that you have it, and I want you to hate that you have it. Look how successful the devil's been with, with his envy. He, how many people hate their bodies? Going to the grave of a deceased loved one is a way of continuing to show honor 
for the mystery of the body, that the union of body and soul is how God created us to be, and we will be raised in the last day. And as Peter Kreef says in a great book called uh, Everything You Wanted to Know About Heaven But Were Afraid to Ask, I think that's the title of it, he says, uh, you know, the resurrection of the body is not a dispensable extra. He says, when the soul is separated from the body, it is not liberated. That's what Plato taught. He said the Plato, the philosopher, said that the body is the prison of the soul, and at death the, the soul is finally liberated from the prison of the body. Peter Crave says, no, no, the, the, the soul is not liberated. It's in an extreme form of paralysis awaiting the resurrection of the body. And he says, we, we know that the separation of body and soul was never meant to happen. And he gives the example of why we are freaked out or horrified by both ghosts and corpses. Mm. He says, although both are harmless, they are the obscenely separated aspects of what we know belong together as one. So, yeah, in, in that spirit, going to the grave of a deceased loved one is, is expressing, I know the body and soul are meant to be together, and we pray in hope that they will be reunited. This is our faith. We as human beings are a unity of body and soul, and the journey of the entire Christian life is one of reintegration of that which has been separated. Mm. If you know anybody out there who needs to hear this episode, I would encourage you to click that share button. Help us get this good news out to as many people as possible. We're so grateful to you, our listeners, our faithful listeners out there especially. Keep the questions coming. And patrons, make sure you submit your question through the website for patrons, exclusively for patrons. That'll put your question up to the top. Uh, until next time, may you know it deep in your bones that you are an indispensable irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.